Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, here at City, we are in the season of Lent, the 40 days that moves us towards Easter. We're very excited about that. We um, have a book that we've given to everyone who wants one that helps us move through Lent. If you didn't pick up that book, please feel free to grab one as you exit the sanctuary this morning. What we do here at City is every single Sunday we gather together, we say the Lord's Prayer. And the reason for that is last year, we looked at one singular topic, and that was the kingdom of God. And then this year, we're taking a look at the kingdom of God, how do you live in it? We're gonna do that by taking an entire year to process through the Sermon on the Mount. So what we're doing at the beginning of every, uh, prior to every sermon is we pray the Lord's Prayer together, which if you're from a high church world is called the Our Father, because Jesus taught this prayer as his kingdom prayer. This is literally the prayer that everyone in the kingdom is called to pray. So let's go ahead and pray the Lord's Prayer together as we always do, and then we'll be seated. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's stop right there. I want you to close your eyes. Is there someone in your life that you have not forgiven? Let's allow the Spirit of the Lord, if there is someone, to bring that person to mind and to heart. Let's finish the prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. What we're going to do this morning is, um, first of all, I want to give a huge shout out to Erin Seegers and the sermon that she preached last Sunday as uh, I was away with the UVA wrestling team at, at a, the ACC tournament. And Erin, um, who is a beloved part of our church family and is now an attorney in Baltimore, um, she preached on Jesus fulfilling the law. He came to fulfill it. And so what we're doing this morning, just so you know, is we are moving from the idea of the blesseds, the eight blessings that Jesus spoke over this ad hoc spiritual crowd. There's these eight things called the Beatitudes, and he spoke it over the crowd and said, blessed, 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 blessed. The first of that is blessed are you who are poor in spirit. In other words, if you know nothing about the kingdom, you know nothing about the Bible, you know nothing about God, the idea was is that in Jesus, he could announce blessed. You are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is now invading earth through its king, which is Jesus. So what we're doing is we're moving away from those eight blesseds and we are moving towards how do you live it out? How do you live in the kingdom? And one of the things that I wanna be very careful to state is this. What we're moving towards next is not a new list of rules and laws. 
It's a vision that Jesus is casting for a people who will live in his kingdom and they will live completely different than the people that live in the kingdoms of this world. And one of the essentials is, before we get to the topic we're gonna deal with this morning, which is extremely difficult to deal with, is that it only works if I believe that Jesus has spoken blessed over me, that his kingdom is covering me and I'm in his kingdom, and that my identity, my confidence, my security, and everything that I am to the core of my being is found in the kingdom through Jesus. Because what he's going to call us to this morning is extremely difficult. And if you're not secure in who Jesus is, if your, your identity is not found in the kingdom, the call that's coming next will be insurmountable and impossible. So as we move away from the Beatitudes, we're going to tackle what Jesus begins to talk about is living in the kingdom. And always remember, this is a sermon Jesus preached, and it's sequential. It builds on itself. The eight blessings come first. You have the blessing of God over and in and through your life because of Jesus. And then now he begins to build a case for what the good life truly is. Now, if you are like I am, I faced two of the things today that I like least in life. You face them too. Cold weather and a lack of sleep. We lost an hour's sleep. Did you notice that this morning? Cold weather, lack of sleep, and the trifecta is that UVA lost in basketball. You combine those three and life is very difficult. And now we get to tackle the first of a series of callings that Jesus calls people to that are living in his kingdom. And this deals with anger, deals with anger. And again, what I want us to know is that Jesus is very sequentially and very poignantly dealing with his, the things in his kingdom that will defeat the good life. What is the good life? What is the kingdom life? And so what we find in Matthew chapter five, we're going to read five verses. Jesus deals with murder. Here's what the text says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, in other words, Jesus stands and says there's a new kingdom and a new king. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So in other words, it doesn't take murder to get there. Anger can get you there. Reading on, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Do you think Jesus is serious? You get that vibe, like slight vibe, that Jesus is very serious, reading on. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary will hand you over to the judge. The judge will hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have paid 
the last penny. So what we discover is Jesus, at the very beginning of living in the kingdom, and what does it look like to live in and through the kingdom, he deals with anger. He deals with anger. Now what I want to do is reread that first paragraph and then we're going to jump in. Matthew 5, 21 through 23. But I tell you, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, one of the things we're going to notice in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to use this phrase repeatedly, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And what he's not doing is erasing what you already know. What Jesus is doing is standing before the Ten Commandments and saying that I have the authority in my kingdom to speak to these things in a way that you've never heard before. He is claiming an incredible level of authority. Everyone else has taught you this. He's not negating that. Don't think for a moment that he came to abolish the law. That was Aaron's sermon last week. He came to fulfill the law. Big difference. Now, what he is saying, though, is, listen, here's what you've been told, but I have the authority to stand in front of you in my kingdom and bring it to you in a new light, a new way of seeing things. So here's what was happening in the time of Jesus. People had taken the Ten Commandments, and they looked at the Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not murder, and all of them were able to say very comfortably, I've never killed anyone. I'm good with God. You ever hear anyone say that? I haven't killed anyone. And Jesus says, ultimately, that's not the point. Now, here's a few things that will help us with our understanding. First of all, when Jesus uses the word angry, it's the Greek word orge. That's the root of it. And it means settled anger or contempt. It proceeds from an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone, not a sudden outburst. So this is not a sudden outburst of anger. What it is, rather, is a fixed, controlled, passionate feeling against a settled indignation against a person or a group. Interesting. Now, one of the things that you're going to come to understand when Jesus is talking about this kind of anger, it's a long way to get there. That's not something that you just, it, it's something where you're building a case in your mind and in your heart against an individual or a group of people. So it's a process. Now what Jesus goes on to say is he builds his case on anger. He uses an Aramaic word, racha. And here's the definition of that. The Aramaic term raka was current in Jesus' day to express contempt for someone and to mark out him or her as contemptible. It may have originated from the sound one makes in the throat in order to spit. Isn't that interesting? So you think about this individual and then you turn and spit on the ground. Contempt. 
And the question is, and you may ask yourself, do I have this towards someone? Well, let me help you discern whether you do or not. You know how I know? Personal experience. It's where you exit an episode with a person and you are driving in your car. All of a sudden, you begin to white-knuckle the steering wheel and you hold a conversation with yourself about that individual. And you go something like this. Wow, that person didn't say hi to me. And by the end of the conversation, they are a horrible, contemptible human being. Am I the only one that has ever done this? Look, confess it before God and man, right? (laughs) Now, here's the thing, though. There are others in our lives who are very close to us. They may be sitting right next to you, and you have contempt for them. This is not a flashpoint of anger. This is a long, thought-out process where your view of that person has become what's called contemptible. What's interesting to note is one of the longest longitudinal studies that was ever done on marriage was reported in a magazine in an article called The Masters of Love in the Atlantic Magazine. If you've never read it, Google it and read it. It is shocking. It's the longest longitudinal study on marriage and relationships. And here's what they found, these scientists just observing couples over long periods of time, those that had happy, successful marriages and those that dissolved and went away. Here's what they found. In the article, Masters of Love, they reported, contempt, they found, is the number one factor that tears couples apart. People who are focused on criticizing their partners miss a whopping 50% of the positive things their partners do. They're totally blind to the good of their partner. Half of everything their partner does, they cannot see. And they see negativity when it's not there. Interesting. So what we find is, is contempt is not a flash of anger. It's when you've got a perspective of another person where you hold them in contempt. And so Jesus now, in his inaugural stepping into walking out the kingdom, deals with this first. It's on the ground floor of the relationality of our lives. And those in the crowd would have sat there and said, I've never murdered anyone. Never killed anyone. But what's interesting to note is Jesus spends more time on this than he does lust and adultery. This is the primary thing that Jesus deals with. And here's why I believe that that is true. Because contempt functions the exact same way as love, only it takes you to a completely different place. What do I mean? If you have anger and contempt towards a person, it molds how you view them, it molds how you treat them, it molds how you may pray for them, it molds whether or not you want God's best for them. If you love someone, it molds that too. When you honestly love someone, it helps you overlook some things. It helps you to believe the best for that person. It, it governs your actions and how you speak to that person. You see, contempt in love 
are two operating systems. Just picture it like a computer. Love, you plug in, it's the operating system. Contempt. And here's the thing that I know absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt after three and a half decades of being a pastor, you cannot compartmentalize this. You may say, I have contempt for one person and one person only. Trust me, it bleeds over into every relationship of your life. It cannot be compartmentalized. The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. And here's what's even more fascinating, and I've seen this for years. There are actually families, relationships, cultural movements, and entire people groups that the Bible calls nations that function through contempt. It's the driving engine. You may be in a relationship where contempt drives it. It's the thing that's weirdly enough, the glue and the toxin at the same time. And the problem is, is that when you hear Jesus call you to let go, you have no vision, no possible way of knowing how will this relationship even look because we function like this for so long. What could it even look like? I have no clue. Because it's literally the engine, the function, it's not love, it's contempt. And so what we find is Jesus begins to offer, when we think about putting feet to our faith, some very practical realities. Want to remind us again of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, we are so sensitive to this in the kingdom that it's not just about my view of others, it also incorporates their view of me. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What we need to understand is Jesus in that paragraph is letting you know that anger and contempt is literally at the epicenter of every single thing God calls in his kingdom. Because in the Older Testament, the sacrifice that you would bring was the center of your relationship with God. And what Jesus says is, whatever it is that connects you to God the most, whether it's prayer, reading the Bible, evangelism, fellowship, whatever it is that connects you to God the very best. Jesus is saying, ultimately, there's no point and going forward until you deal with that. There's no point in it. Because what he's talking about has been elevated to the reality of complete importance. Jesus is extremely serious about this. And then in Matthew 5.25, he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. In other words, deal with it as soon as you sense it because this thing only grows. It gets legs and it takes on a life of its own. So here Jesus is teaching about his kingdom. And I have a hunch and historical biblical scholars tell us that the world in which Jesus is ushering in his new kingdom is one of the most fractured cultures you have ever seen. The Romans hate the Jews. The Jews hate the Romans. The Jews hate the Gentiles. The Gentiles hate the Jews. Everyone's got someone they despise and have contempt for. Everyone. And Jesus shows up 
And in the announcement of his kingdom, he says, I am looking for some people who will live in my kingdom and will show the world a better way to do life. That's what he's looking for. And so, my thought has been that a miraculous transition for my heart and for yours, could it be that Jesus could transform us this morning from contempt to compassion? Where he could take you while you're sitting here now or you're watching online and you literally have contempt for another person or another group of people. And could it be that through Jesus, he can transform our contempt and turn it into compassion? I believe that he can. But what I think it begins with is us squaring up to the Spirit of God and admitting where we're at in the midst of this thing. Look, I cannot prove this, but by the words that Jesus uses, it's apparent to me that Jesus is reaching back to the very first time that anger is ever mentioned in the Bible. He's reaching all the way back. And he reaches back to the familiar story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4 through 6. It's the first human relationality ever. And the text says, then the Lord came to Cain. Why are you angry? Well, we all know why. His sacrifice had been rejected and his brothers had been accepted. Listen to what God says to him. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Can you imagine? And we know the story that Cain lures his brother out into the field and he takes his life. Cain murdered a quarter of the earth's population. But God had warned him that this thing will take on a life of its own. And we know from that event on that sin goes from something that is crouching at the door to where it's something that has ruled and reigned every culture since that moment. And now Jesus shows up with his kingdom and he says, there's a new way of doing this. But what I know is when we sit here and we hear this, our flesh gives us no less than five good reasons as to why we should not proceed with any of this. But I'll give you another reason. Because the relationship you're in, you have no vision for what it could be if it wasn't filled with contempt. That you came from a family that taught you contempt. You're part of a subset of culture where having contempt is actually praised and applauded. And Jesus says, let it go. And you think, what will it look like? How could I even do this? I've lived this way for so long, and yet I'm in his kingdom. You see, the hope of the kingdom of God is that we do not have to be trapped in a life cycle of this. But Jesus offers us a new life 
a new way of living, a new way of being in the most important relationships of our lives. And so what I'm gonna ask that we would do is that we would stand together and we're gonna conclude the same way the sermon began. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. This then is how you should pray. Let's pray out loud. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's stop. Let's take a moment in God's presence to open up our hearts. Is there someone or some people that the Lord and the present working of the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind and to heart? You know, in the Lord's Prayer, this is the only part that we have to play. Is bringing forgiveness to those that are indebted, trespassed, sinned against us, however you want to frame it. What about anger and contempt in your life? I believe that as we pray now about that, that Jesus can transform that. I also believe that Jesus will give you wisdom and how to walk it out. Because some of us have people in our lives that we could easily blame them for the contempt that we have for them. But the kingdom calls us to a life that's better than that. But we will definitely need the wisdom of God on how to walk this out, what it could or should look like. Let's begin that journey by saying yes to Jesus and denying the voice that will be so strong for our flesh and asking God to give us a vision for what that relationship or those relationships could be and the wisdom on how to walk into the fullness of this call from Jesus to us. Jesus, here we are as women and men. We are confronted with the age-old reality that was standing between Cain and Abel. Here we are again. God, some of us come with our anger, our contempt, reality for others. Jesus, help us. We are a blessed people. God, help our identities to be found in Jesus. Lord, I pray over my own life and the lives of every woman and man here God, for those of us that are caught in a cycle of contempt, I pray miraculously you'll give us compassion. And then I pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil.